Oh, good morning everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Boink Radio. Uh, I am not joined today by my lovely and beautiful host Jay Ringo and I've got to do this one solo. And that means we have more time to talk about my favorite set of beverages, my oaks. Now, if you don't know what The Boink Radio is, it is a weekly podcast where we come on and talk about all stuff Boink. If you don't know what Boink is, come on and we'll tell you. Join the Boink Network Discord, uh, have a chat with some of our friendly members and also uh, project admins. So, let's get straight down to business. Oak kills hungry, thirsty, dead. Now, you're probably wondering what magical amazing oak flavor I have today. Well, uh, we've moved away from the cartons because I think I've gone through most of the cartons. I know there's a couple flavors left, but I, I can't find them in Woolies. They, they, they don't stock them anymore by the looks of it. So I might have to go somewhere else to find them. But we have the new high protein range, Oak Plus Power. And this one is Nutrigrain flavor. And I doubt that any of you here would know what Nutrigrain is. Anyone? <laughs> ah, okay, so you guys have the cereal bars, the Nutrigrain bars. Yeah, I, I believe that Nutrigrain does in fact make bars, but Nutrigrain is in fact its own separate cereal, and uh, it's quite popular here in Australia. So Oak has made us a beautiful version of their Power Oak uh, with Nutrigrain. <laughs> Probably not even a kilowatt hour. Actually, it should have kilojoules here. It has a uh, thousand two hundred kilojoules of energy. There you go. Well, I'm yet to taste it first. But before we go, we gotta we gotta talk about the action. <laughs> we gotta talk about the narrative that they have on the back. Hungry, thirsty, wakes up early. Time for an oak plus power. Combining the full strength of oak with the iconic Aussie flavor of Nutrigrain. It is an unstoppable mix of protein, fiber, and nine vitamins and minerals to power you through the day. And there's an asterisk, okay? Sends a bolt to the heart of Hungry Thirsty and makes a meal of it. Ah, okay, so there's an asterisk here, which has actually made, made me curious. Okay, so they have a little disclaimer. Oak plus power is intended to supplement a normal diet where intakes of energy and nutrients may not be adequate to meet an individual's requirements. Wow, I can't believe they actually had to put a disclaimer for that. I, uh, I'm going to be up all day. It's early morning for me. So I'm about to kill Hungry Thirsty Dead with this uh, Nutri-Green Oak. Let's see how it tastes. Now, this power range is uh, is a part of their sort of thick shake range. So you have to like shake it and it becomes really, really thick. And uh, I've had experience in the past with, um, I think the cook, uh, actually I'm not gonna spoil it, with other oaks in the past, where the thick shake was so thick that it really just makes you sick. So let's see how this tastes. Definitely smells like cereal. Hmm. It's, um, I have to say, it doesn't really taste like Nutrigrain. <laughs> um, if I were to give it a rating from 1 to 10, um, you're probably looking at around a 5. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't taste like Nutrigrain. It, it, honestly, it tastes a little bit like the, um, 
the oak iced coffee flavor, to be completely honest. Um, but yeah, I don't taste any Nutri-Grain. Um, I mean, it sure does pack a punch. It's nice and chocolatey. But um, yeah, I can't say that it tastes like Nutri-Grain. Sorry, Oak, this one's not on. <laughs> All right, but I, I do have a couple of other flavors in this, uh, in this Power Plus range and also the Thick Shake range, which oh, I, I bought one for my brother the other day. Uh, he tried it and he almost threw up. That's how thick it was. <laughs> then, then again, he asked me to get the one that would make him the most sick. <laughs> so I got him a, a fruit-flavored one. I'm not going to spoil it for you guys, because uh, you gotta you got to come here every week to figure out what I'm going to drink next. Alright, let's go straight on to the news. Okay, uh, let's start out with Prime Grid. It is their 16th birthday! Yay! They have a challenge running on from the 12th of June, which for me is today, uh, and it ends on the 17th of June. They are working on a big rush on the extended Sapinski problem. And yes, I know how to pronounce that now. Uh, and uh, you'll have to select the ESPLLR application in your Prime Grid preferences if you want to participate in their birthday challenge. Oh, wow, 107 Fahrenheit in Texas. <laughs> Man, that sounds good. <laughs> That's like... That's like early summer in Australia. Um, yeah, Prime Grid is 16 years old, I believe. It's their 16th birthday, they're saying. Okay, um, next one. Let's go on to MLC at home. So, uh, this is some of their notes. that They usually do weekly notes, but this one's been um, corrected to be the monthly notes. <laughs> Because uh, it looks like they haven't uploaded in a little while. Uh, well, this post, uh, uh, as they usually do, they talk about the data sets. Uh, we have data set 3, which is almost complete. So, data set 3 is at 97% completion. And uh, surprisingly, it takes up over 4 terabytes of data. So, that is a lot of data to hold on their servers. Yep, MLC at home is saying 98% now. Um, yeah, and uh, they've tried to get Dataset 4 up and running. They've rolled out a test, and as with most tests, there were problems. So they're working with um, the code to try and make it work a bit better. And um, also, I'm curious, because we got um, the project admin of MLC at home right here. How big do you expect Dataset 4 to be? Do you have any expectations on how big data set number four is going to be, com considering that data set three is four terabytes? Oh, okay, equivalent in size. So, um, word from the uh, from the project admin, it looks like uh, data set four is going to be approximately the same size in terms of data as data set three. Uh, I was just curious because I thought it might be probably like double the size or something like that. So. Um, Dataset 1 and 2 is continuing, uh, it's going along slowly and will continue in the background so they'll still have plenty of work to do even though Dataset 3 uh, is almost finished. Uh, okay, and they're looking to 
switch up the sort of work they do by the looks of it. So um, rather than actually creating the data sets, they might be moving to something else. Um, and they're also updating their scientific paper. So for those of you that went to the Boink, uh, the Boink workshop, you probably would have seen MLC at home present their paper and talk about their research paper. So they're still working on that to make sure it's all up to date. And as usual, a reminder that if you are a programmer or a data scientist who want to volunteer with MLC at home, you can do so. It looks great on your resume and we've heard some lovely stories of volunteers actually turning their volunteer ship, if that's what you call it, <laughs> into a career. So there have been people who have actually volunteered for, um, for Boink projects and have actually turned it into a career and the Boink project has started paying them and onboarding them as uh, programmers or data scientists. Yep. And uh, MLC at Home is just clarifying the future work might look something like reproducibility, so trying to uh, ensuring that the data that they've created is in fact clean and valid and obeys all the laws and hypotheses in the paper that they've created. Alright, moving on. Um, so. World Community Grid is just reporting that their planned maintenance on Thursday the 10th of June was in fact completed. So they updated the operating systems on their servers, so there was a bit of downtime on June the 10th that's already passed after recording. Uh, what else we got? Africa rainfall. Okay, do we know where the, 90, the extra 5% comes from? Not yet, but we might be close. <laughs> Okay, so uh, African, uh, the African Rainfall Project from World Community Grid uh, has been working on publicizing and sharing their data. So they have a massive data set on one of uh, IBM's servers, most likely. And uh, they're working on sharing that data with scientists and also the public. And they're just working on trying to figure out a, the best possible way to actually host it and share it because it is a huge data set so we might want we might want something where we only want a very specific part of the data set or we need to somehow structure it in order to open the whole data set and allow people to go through it so they're still working on releasing all that data so yeah they um, they are they look like they're almost complete so um, yeah Hopefully we'll figure out where the 5% went. Alright, uh, let's see, uh, Milky Way? Yeah, Milky Way. Alright, uh, next up is Milky Way at Home. They've just uh, had a little notice saying that they're putting up some new work units. So apparently there was a set of work units with the numbers 84 and 85 that would throw validation errors uh, as they were optimized. So as the program tried to make itself faster and optimize itself, uh, it started causing issues when it came to validation and submitting the results. So they've been, they've, those ones have been fixed. So uh, yeah, if you are caught up in that, you can go on and crunch those little bundles that they've put out. Uh, what is this? Yep, so there's also some more bundles that they've released and for those of you that you are, uh, for those of you that are running Milky Way at home, look out for any validation errors. And if you find any validation errors, just uh, talk to the admin on uh, 
on on the Milky Way forum. Because uh, uh, in doing all this optimization, you get the occasional edge case where it causes errors and stuff doesn't work out at the end. It's not deterministic. Alright, uh, and finally, uh, SETI at home. So, SETI at home, uh, as you know, or as we know, and as most people know, has stopped sending out work units, but they haven't stopped their science. And they're still doing stuff in the background. And a lot of the stuff that they're doing in the background is examining how well their program actually performed, what their program actually did, how it worked, and whether it can be improved, and what data did they actually find. So we have another blog post from them on uh, investigating the, uh, the program and also investigating the data. And this one's just a sort of, I guess, chill one. <laughs> There's no ET in any of the data so far. Um, yeah, so they're looking at trying to, ref as they say it, refine the drifting RFI algorithm. So what they're, what they're doing is they're trying to filter out all the signals which are definitely not aliens. So stuff like you switching on your power switch or switching on one of your lamps or something and that causing a massive blip in uh, a part of the spectrum. Or stuff like uh, birdies not actual live birds, but um, signals that are generated by humans and are intended to try and throw off the scientists and make them think that they made a discovery. So, uh, according to their algorithm, it's a little bit complex and a lot of uh, SETI's posts on this are in fact quite complex. So if you want to read it and if you're a nice uh, digital signal processor nerd, then you'll be very interested in this. But uh, for those of you that want to know, um, their algorithm, uh, according to them, works pretty well and removes 2.9% of birdies and 11.8% of all spikes. So th you're probably thinking those are probably really low numbers, right? I mean, uh, but they say that it works well. and. Considering they had a little bit of a notice at the top saying that they want to remove all the RFI and all the radio frequency interference and all the spikes and whatnot, but we only want to remove RFI. So the algorithm should not remove any ET signals. So considering that it can remove 2.9% of birdies and also remove 11.8% uh, of all spikes, then I guess that's good enough for them. <laughs> Alright, and uh, that is all the news. I'm going to take a drink off my oak. Mm, okay. So, as promised, today is going to be uh, today is going to be all about day three of the Boink workshop. And uh, in this workshop, it was the sort of wrapping up of everything. Uh, they had a few projects that presented that couldn't present during the other days. I think uh, NanoHub and um, some other ones, which I'll get to. Uh, they decided to present on day three rather than day two or day one due to either technical or logistical issues. Uh, and uh, we also had a lot of get-togethers, a lot of breakout rooms in Zoom for those of you that attend lots of lovely online Zoom sessions that we're all sick of now. 
So there are a good couple of breakout sessions. I think there was one on the issues with AI and Boink, and one on what Boink can do better and what uh, ways that we can get Boink out there and uh, on people's devices. Uh, and then there was uh, a tutorial on how to set up a Boink project, which is quite interesting. And then uh, just a general wrap up. And uh, I think after it wrapped up and uh, everyone talked, I think that the Boink workshop, the virtual Boink workshop, was pretty fair. Like I, I think it was, it was on par. It was, it was great. People got to present their science. People got to present their projects, people got to talk about their projects. I got to make my pitch to send the Boink Workshop to Australia with my 5 bits per second internet connection. Uh, and for those of you that want to see exactly what <laughs> happened during my presentation, you can go and check it out on YouTube. I still don't know how people didn't tell me that it was going wrong. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that just, it's, hey, that's Australia. <laughs> Okay, um, so yeah, let's talk about day three. So first of all, uh, NanoHub was first up, and uh, they had, they reported almost two million web views. So two million clicks on their website, and I assume those are all unique computers. They have 220,000 uh, users, and only about, I think, 20,000 of them are active. And they have 675 plus nanoscience tools for nanoscientists to come on and compute their science using these tools and uh, get some data. So NanoHub at home, as we know, uses Boink, but it also uses a lot more too. So um, for example, um, uh, one of the other technologies it uses was Open Science Grid and also uh, non-distributed stuff such as uh, Amazon Web Services. Now, NanoHub has been sort of expanding the way that they deal with the results of their um, of their nanoscience simulations. So, back in the old days, it used to be, oh, you go on there, you hop on and you click on the data that you want to input and then you got to wait for it to run in all the machines and then it'll poop out the result back to you. And then let's say someone else around the world had the exact same inputs, with the exact same simulation, with the exact same everything. It would still have to put a work unit out there, have it run on the network and then have it sent back to you. Alright, that's really inefficient obviously. So what they've done was say, okay, why don't we just cache the results? And so they did. So now, if two people uh, punch in the exact same inputs on the exact same simulation, it'll bring up a cached result. It'll bring up the result that was already computed on all the computers. And this is great because they say that they can actually do, like, sort of... Um, they, they can now make their own Boink work units. So what they do is they say, okay, I'm going to plug in a range of values for the input, and we want to know what all, these, all the results are for this. All right, no one's asked, no, no one wanted the data, no, no one needs the data, but it's there in case someone does want it in the future. So uh, they've started doing that, and as a result, they're aiming for 10 million simulations per year. They mentioned that they did sort of achieve it in 2019, and they're still aiming to do it for last year and this year as well. So they're aiming for about, uh, <laughs> they're aiming for about 10 million simulations per year. 
Now, another great uh, thing about the cache results uh, way that NanoHub at home is working uh, is they can be applied to AI. So an AI can go over and take a look at, um, what's it called? Uh, take a look at all the inputs and results and that, and they could probably make an AI that selects the best inputs or the best outputs or something like that. So AI definitely has an application in the future for NanoHub. Ah, yes, and thank you, Project Alice, for sending a picture, which is what probably around five seconds of my presentation actually looked like. <laughs> yep, yeah, that camera would have been frozen, but you would have heard my voice perfectly for some reason. Okay, um, there, was a pres there was quite an interesting presentation on Boink on OpenWRT. So for those of you that don't know what OpenWRT is, it's basically an operating system. It's Linux based, so uh, it looks like, pretty much looks and feels like Linux. And it's meant to run on really small hardware and routers and gateways. So in your house you probably have a router or a gateway that your internet service provider will uh, give to you. and. Uh, what you can do is you can pretty much like hack it to run OpenWRT if you want. <laughs> and the brilliant thing about OpenWRT is that it has Boink on it. You can actually run Boink on your router and still have it do its router stuff without, without barely any interruption. So they were talking about how it works, how to get it set up. Uh, now um, there are only a couple uh, projects that actually support OpenWRT because there's only a few, yeah exactly, there's only a few binaries that have been compiled for it. Uh, so you do have projects that work with uh, Android and also ARM based processors like Raspberry Pis and it has to be a specifically crafted application for the OpenWRT devices. So I think uh, they mentioned that TN Grid, World Community Grid, Rosetta uh, all support OpenWRT but Yo-Yo is coming soon, uh, and uh, yeah, so Yo-Yo is coming soon to OpenWRT, which is quite interesting. And they also mentioned during that presentation about Boink on FPGAs. So for those of you that don't know what an FPGA is, it stands for a Field Programmable Gate Array, uh, but that probably doesn't make any more sense. Basically, it's sort of like a computer where you can program the hardware. So you can say to the computer, hey, I want um, this many logic gates, I need, I need it to do this, this, and this. Uh, it's a lot less like a programming language and more like actually making the hardware using software, if you get what I'm saying. So, um, they're really keen on it and they're really keen on supporting Boink on FPGAs because um, there was in fact a, uh, where is it? Yeah, so um, they're really keen on FPGAs because there was in fact a FPGA that could complete the optimal Golem ruler calculations 100,000 times faster than regular CPU software. So if I'm not mistaken, uh, the OGR software, the uh, optimal Golem ruler is actually on distributed.net. 
uh, and I believe that connects with Yo-Yo at Home if I'm not mistaken. So if you're crunching Yo-Yo at Home, you're probably doing optimal golem rulers. And someone's made an FPGA that can actually do it a hundred thousand times faster than a CPU. All because they can define the hardware. Alright, uh, now moving on. Psydoc made an appearance. So for those of you that don't know what Psydoc is, it's a relatively new project. And the best way I can explain it is it's very, very similar to Rosetta Arm. So they pretty much almost do the exact same thing, which is take a whole bunch of molecules and a whole bunch of everything um, that could possibly be a drug or a drug target. And they run it through a massive filter. They go through all of it and say, okay, does this attach to that? No. Okay, check it out. Does this attach to this? No. Okay, check it out. Does this attach to this? Eh, a little bit. Okay, keep it. We'll keep investigating it. And uh, they are... Oh, I'll restart that. So yeah, their technology and the way they do things is very similar. Uh, but for those of you that are very interested in biology, they are working very hard on viral protease disarmament. So for those of you that do in fact do biology and understand that you'll know what that is. <laughs> but for those of you that don't do biology, I believe what that is is where you take the spike protein of a virus or uh, oh no sorry scratch that it is basically where you find a molecule or a uh, as they called a ligand yet yeah, I'm not a biologist but I know my terms <laughs> uh, so they take a ligand or some other drug and they attach it, they make it so that it attaches to a particular part of the virus life cycle. And I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, the viral protease disarmament is where they tackle the replication stage. So it'll attach to something that prevents the virus from performing any replication. And that's what SI Doc has been focusing very hard on uh, in its time uh, as a Boink project. Now, SIDOC is already at the lab with results. They sort of had like a, a little bit of a running head start. They started out with just themselves and figuring out some stuff to bring to the lab. So technically they're already in the lab as soon as they started. Uh, and as a result of the Boeing project, they've actually found some more stuff to actually put in the lab. So they're working quite hard um, getting that all done. And they also have some private sector endorsement, I believe from a university. Uh, what else we got? For those of you that are a bit more technical and want to know what technologies they use, they use RxDoc and CMDoc. And currently they have uh, almost 12,000 uh, users. And uh, 3,000 of them are active. And it's interesting, they showed us a graph and the active user count was actually going down. So you have the typical blips that came from all the sprints and formula, formula boinks and whatnot. But overall, the, the active user count has been actually going down. So for those of you that are interested in going and supporting Psydoc, go right ahead. They, they need some more users to help crunch all their data. I'm just going to quickly take a drink. Alright, uh, let's continue. So SIDOC uh, have said that although they are working on COVID and um, those related viruses, 
they will also be working on other stuff. So they're definitely keen on working with uh, Ebola, malaria, and also in the future possibly oncology patients and, um, and studies. Um, interestingly enough, we're going to get to Rig of the Week later on, because uh, we're almost finished. And Psydoc has actually won Rig of the Week this week, so stay tuned for that. Okay, um, let's see. So yeah, as I said before, there was a big discussion on AI. And one of the big topics that came up during that discussion was low latency computing. So as we know with Boink, you have to, you as the volunteer, have to go to go to a server, you fetch the work unit from the server, you crunch the work unit, it might pause because you've wiggled your mouse a little bit, or maybe you're playing Minecraft and you don't want Boink to run in the background. Uh, then overnight it'll crunch all its stuff and in the morning it'll upload that back to the server, hand the results back to the scientist, and then they store those results back in their database. Okay, and the scientists don't care when they get their results back, just so long as that they do get results. Because the science that they're doing is asynchronous. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to happen at a specific time, always during a specific time. So, uh, when work does in fact become synchronous or real time, such as with AI, like for example, a self-driving car would need to constantly have data feeding in and results being pumped out literally instantly in order to make decisions about how to drive. So when you get applications like that, it really becomes an issue with Boink because Boink is not made for that. And uh, they were talking about some ways to solve it. And uh, obviously, I only they only uploaded the um, the summary, so we don't know what exactly they discussed. But they said that there was a big problem if real time AI were to be implemented on Boink. They need a solution to the low latency issue. Um, yeah. They also mentioned some other problems with distributed machine learning. Uh, first of all, is trust with proprietary data. So often when you're doing machine learning, and we've discussed this, I think, many, many, many times before, so I'm not going to stay too long in it. When you're dealing with machine learning and AI, you might have some data sets which are in fact private. Like they might have personal credentials, they might, or, or they might just generally be business stuff. So stuff that the data sets that the business don't want anyone else to get their hands on because it gives them a competitive advantage. So there needs to be a solution to that, so that we can have more AI projects coming on. They also mentioned that GPUs are sometimes non-deterministic, which means that if you were to send a work unit on two different computers with two different GPUs, they might produce two different results, purely because of the horrendous libraries of that GPUs use for software. And uh, just generally hardware, differences in hardware. So one computer might be working on floating point 32, and one might be on floating point 64. There might be an issue with precision, stuff like that. So that's another issue that needs to be solved uh, when dealing with uh, machine learning on the Boink network. Another one is bandwidth. Some of the data sets that they use for machine learning are just huge, like massive. And getting that data across the internet is going to be very difficult, especially if you've got to download a work unit which has about a gigabyte of data. Alright, there's almost like no way that a little rinky-dink computer in someone's closet can uh, handle a gigabyte download in a reasonable amount of time unless you're on like some five-star internet or just generally not in Australia. 
So yeah, bandwidth is another big issue with that, so we've got to figure out ways to get around that. Yeah, so another discussion that they had was on engagement. So uh, really it's just stuff that we know already. So they talked about types of engagement that they can do with their users. So back in the old days we had the screensavers, but now no one or barely anyone uses a screensaver. Uh, probably to save power, like for example, when I, whenever I run Boink for long periods of time and I'm not on the computer, I just switch off my monitors. There's no need for a screensaver. So we got the two basic ones that they really just discussed, which was gamification, making it seem like you're playing a game, building credits, stuff like that, competing with others, and badges. They said that badges work very, very well. People love their badges. Uh, not badges the animal, but badges the stuff that you put on your shirt. <laughs> yes, we don't want Boink Projects handing out badges. The animal. <laughs> badges and snakes, yeah. Uh, yeah, so apparently badges work very well. Personally, I'm not one for badges. Uh, like, I, I really sort of don't care which badges I have. Uh, I mean, with I remember when I was crunching Prime Grid, it was sort of interesting. Like, I wanted to get the sort of gold badge for everything, but then I sort of just gave up. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I moved for something else. Um, so yeah, the badges uh, was engagement, and uh, they also mentioned something that I don't think we have mentioned here before, which was how do we differentiate similar projects? So we talked about Psydoc, and I mentioned that it was very similar to Rosetta at home. And one thing that uh, came up during that discussion was how do we differentiate those projects that are very similar but do slightly different things? Um, I don't think anything extremely innovative got came up with, but uh, it was stuff like, oh, make sure that uh, you've detailed the science that you're doing on your website, have active communication with the members, make good forum posts and whatnot, so, um, yeah, just sort of easy stuff like that. And that was day three. So uh, that brings us close to the end. Let's talk about Rig of the Week, because I did mention that Psydoc at Home won Rig of the Week. Let me get the image for you guys. There we go. So, Psydoc managed to actually put in, put in, uh, make a massive flex on their on their server uh, during during the Boynton presentation. That's a screenshot of their presentation right there. So, Psydoc at home has a new server. It has a new server. It goes on a rack. And uh, it is a big boy. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Uh, it does look like yeah, high performance, um, high performance stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, so <laughs> they've opened up the side of the case. Uh, oh yeah, HP. HP. Well, hey, it does still look high performance. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they've opened up the panel of the rack so that we can see what's in it and remember this is a rack computer this is not a um, this is not a regular desktop computer uh, and uh, it's got a lot of stuff in it so if I zoom in on the picture uh, I believe they said it has two CPUs and it does look like it has two CPUs there uh, and it has a lot of RAM in it uh, by the looks of it and it most likely has a lot of hard drives in it too so um, yeah, if you want to see what it looks like, 
it's what any server would look like <laughs> when you open up the side panel. It's got some heat sinks, it's got some circuit boards, it's got the custom power supply specially made for a server PC, it's got the RAM, it's got a hard drive array. So if you want to go and see it for yourself, it's on the Boink workshop uh, video. You can go onto the SI doc, remember it's day three. And yeah, that's some pretty high performance stuff. So I think congratulations on Psydoc for earning rig of the week. <laughs> Where does the bread go in to make the toast? Well, Project Alice, um, probably you'll have to hang it from the sides of the of the server racks, <laughs> where uh, all the air outtakes go. <laughs> wow. Foxy is flexing here. <laughs> They've got, what is that, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven server racks, <laughs> servers. Wow, okay, yeah, uh, Foxy, it looks like you're gonna be making a lot of toast. Better share some. Oh yeah, even better, pizza oven. <laughs> Have a little space in between the in between the servers on the rack. Chuck your pizza in there. Nice, uh, traditionally Italian oven oven baked. A boink powered pizza shop. What do you guys think? All right, I think we're gonna end that banter there. <laughs> yeah, get a slice of pizza and get a free oak. That's it. Uh, just keep in mind this, <laughs> this this podcast is not sponsored by Oak. I wish it was, honestly, but uh, no, it's not. Anyway, have a nice day, everyone. Hopefully, we'll see J Ringo next week. Uh, I'm not actually sure what we're doing next week because J Ringo hasn't talked to me. He's not here. What a nice person. Uh, so probably maybe a project brief. Who knows? Maybe you might see a project brief. But that's it for today. So thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.